Well, good afternoon once again. Thank you for joining me. Julian Campbell here. Got another interesting show lined up for you. A bit later in the program, we've got a couple of interesting little business tips from the Harvard Business Review. We're also talking some more with Christina Sikiatis, the Minidon Innovation, having a look at uh, the uh, number ones and number twos in the Business Review Weekly. Why? What made them successful? Why were they picked by Business Review Weekly? But right now we're going to have a chat with Stephen Markey from Markey Insurance. Why every business should consider cyber liability insurance. Good afternoon, Stephen. Afternoon, Julian. Thank you once again for joining us. And uh, well, we're we're entering the information age. We we now live in an area where uh, people collect, store, and extract all sorts of information from around the globe. I'd imagine that access to sensitive information can significantly increase a business's vulnerability to some form of cyber threat. And if this happens, of course, it's going to cost a business both financially and reputation. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about this cyber threat business face? Yeah, sure, Julian. Thank you. Um, that's funny, funny word, cyber. It's uh, the first thing people really think of when the mystical word cyber attack is mentioned, um, they think that it won't happen to me. I think of Doctor so, Who, actually, the Cybermen, but yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, it's coming to be reality now. So, but, uh, And they think that it might only happen to the big companies in America or in Europe, um, and that's so wrong. Um, there's thousands of cyber attacks happening every day all around the world on all sorts of businesses and all sizes of businesses. So, and, um, yeah. in a matter, as a matter of fact, like in Australia, Australia accounts for 5% of the world's cyber attacks and um, if you think of it like Germany's got 82 million people and they only account for 4% Wow! so Australia's up there so no business in in Australia is immune to a cyber attack then no that's right yeah the the targets of the cyber attacks um, like I said go over all industries and the criminals they operate 24-7 they don't have to be in your country or in your area yeah Um, they're from all around the world Um, so this means that, that every business needs to think about how they would be affected by and may alleviate the consequences of an attack. Um, so to help people understand the main types of attacks are, um, just bear with me for a minute, yeah. the, um, the first and the most common type of attack is um, through ransomware or extortion. So this is where people are being held for ransom. And um, it, it involves the use of uh, ransomware Sorry about these technical yeah, no, terms, no, but fine. there's quite a few new ones coming into the, the regime. We have now. to understand them. Yeah, well, ransomware is where it infects a person's computer or their mobile device, like an iPad, and it, um, it'll encrypt all of the files on the, on the computer, and then um, they'll force the victim, it could be you or me or any business, to pay a fee to unlock them. Mm. Okay, and that's when it hurts. So that's the first and most common one. Um, then there's other ones like denial of service attacks, and that's where attackers use botnets. I like that word. Yep. And uh, powerful servers to basically it overwhelms the organisation system with spam, and I'm, everyone's heard of spam or malicious mm. traffic, and it causes the normal operations of the the business, which are dependent on computers, to grind to a halt because yes. computers can't handle it. So number two, uh, cyber espionage. It's another good word. And that's where the attackers breach an organisation and steal intellectual property and um, personal information. Mm-hmm. So we've heard situations there with the big boys being being hacked like that, um, like uh, Adobe and Sony. Mm. Uh, then there's web attacks, where attackers use stolen credentials to exploit the weaknesses in some people's um, web applications. 
there's point of sale intrusion, which is where they have attack on FPOS and credit card machines to capture payment data. And there's a lot of other ones as well. Okay, so there's some examples of attacks, but what we what do not what we don't have time to go through is all of the consequences of an attack like this. So yeah. they'll be, they'll range from paying ransoms. There's big costs in restoring or repairing your computer systems. Yeah. Uh, there's a hell of a lot of legal costs and compensation costs if you have a nasty privacy breach or um, intellectual property breach. There's costs to minimise reputational damage and. Um, and the big one that people may not even think about, but there's loss of trade. Loss of trade. Well, all of this sounds a bit ominous uh, and quite distant from our everyday business. Do you have some examples of some of those typical attacks? Yeah, well, there's, there's lots of examples, but there's a couple of real and typical ones that I wanted to go through. Um, one was for a solicitor, for example, of uh, which there's many in Newcastle and the Hunter Valley uh, mm-hmm. around this size, where they have 55 employees and a turnover of up to $20 million. And what happened here, hackers obtained access to the law firm's network and uh, claimed to have access to sensitive client information, which was basically public companies' acquisition targets, another company's patent technology, draft prospectus for a venture capital client, and a significant number of claimants' personally identifiable information. So they got in there and they stole a heap of information, or they claimed that they did. And the firm was contacted by the hacker groups um, and asked for $10 million dollars not to place the stolen information in the public regime mm. or online for everyone to have a look at. So what happened there was the law firm, they incurred about $2 million for forensic costs, um, extortion-related negotiations, so you get negotiations going on by professionals. You had a ransom payment, had notified clients, had credit and identity monitoring to have to happen. Restoration service and independent lawyers fees. So it all, and and they also, cop. They also lost six hundred thousand in in business income due to the whole interruption. So wow. that was a pretty nasty yeah. episode. That one, but typical of like it's a reasonable sized business, but not too big. Yeah. So, um, but the other one, this one here is scary too, and it's all too close for everyone. Is it's, it's again another services company with twenty employees, turnover ten million, and then. Um, They had a staff member who saved a Word document, which was an application form, to their personal mobile device, so their iPad, and sent it to their work email to print. Which happens all the time. Do that, yep. The application was sent from a friend for entry to a competition, um, so it's not work-related. Happens a lot of time. On opening the document at the work, the the malware, which is the nasties within the um, encrypted into the, the document, was released into the company's network and commenced secretly encrypting files and um, messing the whole system up. And what happened a few weeks later, the company's computer network received a ransom warning that, that locked all staff's access to the network and there was an extortion demand posted on the screen which stated that the company had to pay $5,000 into a bank account within seven days or um, they'd delete all the information. Mm. Okay, so that one can happen. And that one resulted in about $100,000 of claims, um, unhappy customers and brand damage and impacted the business for over a month. The, the thing with that kind of thing, you might say $5,000, that's not much. Um, but you find that the extortionists these days are actually targeting, a lot of them will target for smaller amounts, but lots of people. Mm. And there, there are instances where they've, they've targeted a community 
they've, and they've targeted all the businesses in the community and asked for $3,000. So the big question is, uh, how can people protect their businesses from these sorts of attacks? Well, first line of defence is to have the, the um, up-to-date software, so you put, apply all your patches. Um, you've got to have an intrusion protection in place. You encrypt data where possible. And most importantly, and this is probably the easiest one to do, make sure your employees are aware or mm. savvy in relation to rubbish emails and what they're bringing into the office. So mm. that's that side. But from my side, on the insurance side, um, people really need to consider taking out cyber security insurance, okay, which is a policy uh, which can assist in the costs associated in dealing with such attacks. Okay. Okay, insurance policy against the cost for dealing with it. They're not expensive. They're mm. easily obtainable through your broker and they've got really broad cover. Um, and what I also see is, forget the insurance side, what we see is one of the big advantages of having a policy in place is that the insurers actually have access to the experts in the cyber field mm. that can help you deal with such an attack, like whether it be IT-related, specialist legal guys, specialist crisis management people, and all those kinds of people are really hard to find. I, I, don't, I wouldn't know where to go, and they could be expensive. So it's the policy itself, but also the services and the access to the services insurer provides. These cyber attackers, do they only come from distant locations? Well, that's the obvious one. Everyone probably thinks that it's um, what they do. Almost most, most attacks are conducted by organised crime rings and they operate around the, around the world. There's lots in Russia and Asia. Um, but the one you need to be concerned about as well is other culprits are often someone close to your business. Um, and a surprisingly large portion of the data breaches are carried out by an insider. Mm. Okay, so over half, by some estimates, which is pretty scary. You know, a trusted employee could be the culprit. So, so is there anything else that you can offer to assist people in understanding cyber insurance? Yeah, well, since it's a new insurance, and it's still that scary cyber word, um, I would think that people are best to think of cyber insurance like they think of fire and business interruption insurance policies, mm -hmm. which everyone's pretty well familiar with. So... If your building burns down by fire, you know that the fire insurance is going to help reinstate the building and the business interruption insurance is going to help keep paying the revenue or the profits, yes. keep the company going financially. Um, it's the same for cyber. Uh, if, the com if your computer system is out of action, then your business um, is out of action until it can be brought back up to speed and operating. Yes. So if you look at it that way, that's like the, the cyber equivalent of the fire section. Oh. But also, really importantly, the cyber policy can also supplement the business profits, just like business interruption does under the fire policy. Great. So, well, yeah. Well, thanks very much. That was a very interesting discussion. And uh, we'll have a chat with you in a couple of weeks and start talking about fraud or statutory liability. Yeah, they're, they're other really interesting subjects, and unfortunately the claims are on the rise in those as well. So okay. it should be interesting. Thanks. Thank you. We'll talk to you then. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Steve Markey there with a very interesting subject, cyber insurance. It could happen to you. Have a look and see whether you need to go to the next step and talk to your broker. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7, 25 minutes past one. Time to pop over for our minute on innovation with Christina Sikiotis. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Looking forward to next week, actually. Well, the the breakfast, yes, 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 uh, and the and the innovative companies coming up to to Newcastle. So, thought we might talk about a couple of those today. So, so none of the bad apples, all the good apples are coming up. 
all the good apples who who potentially were once bad apples because they were very, they were disrupting everything and and um, so a disruptive innovator could be considered to once have been a bad apple. There you go. Exactly. Well, let's have a look at number two in the Business Review Weekly. I believe it was Sashi. Yeah, it was. So M and C Sashi were asked what their what their campaign was all about. Um, was they wanted to increase Google's Chrome browser. So as you know. If you're on a Mac, you're automatically comes with Safari, and if you're on a PC, it, it automatically comes with Internet Explorer. So what they needed, their challenge was to bring over Safari and um, Internet Explorer users over to the Chrome platform to get people to use it, which meant downloading it, you know, etc., which is a little bit um, more time-consuming than it is just clicking on the thing that's already on your on your computer. Um, but what they did, so we're dealing with a company that did it, and what they decided to do was to let users... Um, experiment with Lego bricks on Google Maps inside the Chrome framework. So they were allowed to build anything. So they could build um, anything from, say, a house to a to a sea monster to a dragon um, on their virtual plot within Google Maps. And through the process, they used that as a user experience process, um, never ever compromising on performance. But what they did was they they figured out where the articles were, uh, where the obstacles were. Sorry, and we've spoken in the past about pain points. So they identified the pain points, um, and then they remedied them. So the target was to do 10,000 builds within six months. They met that goal within hours, and what happened within the first 48 hours, they had 500,000 visitors on Chrome. So that's 500,000 wow. downloads of the program for people to use. One million visitors in the first three weeks. Mm. Now, for me, that's highly um, integrated with the use of Lego and the popularity of Lego, and being able to build whatever it is that you wanted. Want yeah, constructing it. Yeah, constructing it from the user experience point of view. I think that was a fantastic way to do it. And it certainly had a big impact. Uh, Chrome is uh, now probably the most used uh, uh, browser. On, yeah, on the internet, so uh, yep. it certainly it's had an faster, impact. Cleaner. Yeah. When, when I'm running the digital enterprise program and ask the audience what browsers they're using, it's now about sixty, seventy to seventy percent of people using Chrome. So it's obviously yeah. had had an impact. And, and, you know, just coming back again to that user experience, how important is it to get your user experience right before yeah. you actually go to market? You know, before you build your website, that user experience is, is the most pain point identification period and the most crucial, it actually saves you a lot of money if you get your UX right before you actually go to your web developers. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, thanks for your time. Enjoy your breakfast next week and we'll have a chat about uh, all these brilliant people coming up to Newcastle. We will, and I'll fill you in on what the main takeouts were next Thursday afternoon. That'll be fantastic. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Julian. Bye. Christina Sikiati is there with our Minute on Innovation and some interesting points to think about. Just time for one quick um, tip from the Harvard Business Review, and this one I thought was an interesting one. Keep experimenting with different leadership styles. To grow as a leader, you must dive into projects and activities, interact with different kinds of people, experiment with new ways of getting things done, and try out various leadership styles. Most learning involves some form of imitation and undertaking, and nothing is original. So stop viewing authenticity as an intrinsic state, it really is an ability to take elements you have learned from others' styles and behaviours and make them your own. But don't copy just one person's leadership style. Tap into many diverse role models. There is a big difference between totally imitating someone and borrowing selectively from various people to create, modify and improve your own leadership style. 
It's okay to be inconsistent from one day to the next. That's not being fake. It's how you figure out what's right for new challenges and circumstances. So some interesting comments taken from The Authenticity Paradox by Hermani Imbra. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the importance of uh, insurance, or if you've got uh, well, cyber liability insurance, and uh, the number two in the Business Review Weekly. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll visit the tax world with Tony Vidray, have a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiatis, and have a look at uh, some more business and legal news and views that may affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Kobe Yamandi once said, she turned her cunts into cans and her dreams into plans. <laughs>